welcome to Chatty AF, the anime feminist podcast. I'm Dee Hogan, the managing editor at Anifem. I also run the anime blog, The Jose Next Door, and you can find me on Twitter at Jose Next Door. Normally, this is the part where my co-hosts would introduce themselves, but you're listening to the second half of a podcast that we'd originally thought would just be one episode, so I'm here to provide a quick little cold open. For those who stumbled upon this episode first, you're going to be very confused, because you're listening to part two of our watch-along of the Fushigi Yugi OVAs. This episode covers the second half of Oni 2 and the entirety of Eiko Den. We'll be picking up right where we left off last time, finishing our discussion about the no-good, very-bad Toski episode, and then moving into the extremely good, very nice Chichiri episode. As a reminder... I'm joined on this podcast by my two lovely teammates, Caitlin and Vry, who are both editors and writers for Anime Feminist. You can find Caitlin on Twitter at altsoon underscore no dare, and Vry on Twitter at writervry. And with that out of the way, I'll turn it over to uh, myself from a few weeks ago. Take it away, me. I got some wine. <laughs> Need to calm down after that. I I took off my angry hat and I got some wine. I had some coffee before the show and now I'm and now I need the come down. So a little little glass of wine. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever told you guys this. Uh, conflict and anger makes me sleepy, which is why I I generally don't have a lot of it because I can't be sleeping all the time. It's it's very emotionally draining. So now that I've taken my angry hat off and gotten myself a glass of wine. Um, <laughs> We should let's talk about this with maybe a little less uh, a little less rage. Um, one thing I did find, I wouldn't say I liked it, but I will say I found it kind of interesting, is that uh, something we've talked about in the past is the way Toski has a very kind of immature stereotypical idea about what it means to like be a real man. Mm-hmm. Um, he has these ideas about like what like true strength and true manliness is. And I feel like this arc directly addresses and confronts a lot of those ideas and shows how, taken to like the darkest timeline, I guess, um, how how destructive that can be. Right. Um, because he very much sees like uh, strength as to mean like physical protection. And, and he has this kind of idea about like love is something that you kind of like take. And then when you, when you use fantasy magic to create uh, evil water and like uh, take that to its extreme you get a situation where you're overriding somebody else's agency because you think you know better than you do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're, you're objectifying them like they belong to me. And, and kind of the other, the other side of that is uh, he, he turns on, like he turns on Taka because he doesn't match this idea he has of what like a man should be. Um, like he sees him as like unworthy. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. I don't know. I, I think the big... Now I'm getting really tired from... from you were tired before, but now, I, just now I'm just getting tired about it. The, the entire existence of it and its, and its magical propagation of, of rape culture and its attempt to say a thing is exhausting. It is exhausting. I, I think any effect um, that, I it, think it is... that, that it could have had is, is pretty well shot in the foot by the fact that, like you said, this isn't Miyaka's story. Miyaka has some good moments here, but it's not her story. So she right. becomes an object in serving the dude's story, which... Right. So the rape arc is bad, but at least it's about her anxieties, like, mm-hmm. at the very base mm-hmm. level. This isn't about her at all. Right, yeah, I no, mean... it's really not, um, and... And we're, like, because, you know, D, you were talking about it, it addresses a sp- sort of a specific nightmare scenario, but if the series isn't about Miyaka the same way, it doesn't come across like that. It, like, it doesn't 
it does sort of that piece doesn't fit into the whole picture like i mean i i i I agree but also it's not like like the the tv series of fushigi yugi like it all honestly like it was a flawed series but like that sort of part of it all fit together very well and this doesn't you know what i mean yeah like mm, can you expand on that a little bit like so like you know you're saying that this is a night like a nightmare scenario for a lot of girls mm-hmm. um and fushigi yugi the tv series since it is miyaka's story it addresses a lot of sort of anxious uh nightmare scenarios but the oav is not from miyaka's perspective it's not about addressing her anxieties her story is wrapped up it's taka's story so mm-hmm. it does not like come across as much as it is about addressing her anxiety um, if it was written that way, it is out of place. Um, oh no, I totally agree with yeah. you. I don't think I don't think this. I think the I think that's one of the huge, huge like things that sucks about this episode. One of the huge, huge weaknesses of it is that we don't really get anything from Miyaka's perspective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think there's an attempt to face Toski and Taka off as these kind of like this kind of like stereotypical kind of toxic idea of masculinity coming coming from uh, a poisoned Toski mm-hmm. at this point. And Taka, who is really not that. He's not super comfortable with the fact that he's not as powerful as Tamahome was, but he doesn't feel like he's, you know, unworthy of Miyaka. At one point he says, like, I'll be the most pathetic man in the world for mm-hmm. her. Right. Um, if, if that's what it needs. Like, I don't, that's okay. And so it ends up being a story more about guys, I think. And I don't think that's inherently bad, but I think the fact that Miyaka really doesn't seem to have a role in this story is terrible. Yeah. Like if you want to just have like Taka and Toski like throw down and Miyaka's not involved in the throwdown, mm-hmm. then then you can then I think you can more effectively explore maybe some of these ideas um, that the series right. to its credit is rejecting. But the fact that she is there and is deeply involved in this and has been, you know, assaulted just a minute ago and then, and then is kind of immediately ignored, um, I think does, does a, a great disservice yeah. to her and what the story is trying mm-hmm. to do. Yeah. I definitely think that whole, that idea of toxic masculinity, especially like even using Taka and, and Toski. Yeah. That's worth doing, but boy, they did it bad. Mm-hmm. Yep. They did it real bad. So very bad. That's the but end yeah. of that. I don't like that All story. Right. Nope. I wanted yeah, to talk it's about bad. one of the things I thought it was trying to address because I think that it is worth it is worth mentioning that the series mm-hmm. is trying to sort of uh, reject that that concept of manliness that that Toski sort of had in his head for a while. But it does it does a poor it does a poor poor job of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Let's move on. Hey guys, <laughs> guess what? Guess what comes after the after the low low point though. Guess what comes after the low low point? The the one of the best episodes of the actual the whole franchise. The best episode, yes. Uh, no, yeah, one of the best, if not the best episode of the entire franchise. It's very, very good. It is the Chichiri story episode. I love this episode. I love this character. I could talk about this for like 30 minutes, and it would be... I have a lot of notes, and it's it's bad. So uh, we'll start with this. All of the stories that we talked about, you know, they talk about love, and I'm, I forgot to talk about this with Toski's because I put on my angry hat. Um, the love there is more uh, the destructive kind um it's like a friendship that gets warped um two different friendships really Uh, i think that story is as much about taka as it is about Mm. miyaka this one uh sort of uh mirrors that a little bit um but it is it focuses much more on the uh, friendship angle of that um i think watase does uh friendship narratives a thousand times better than she does romance i could talk forever (laughs) what would you guys like to say oh i don't know it's it good 
it good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's good. Um, it's it's really nice sort of seeing it addressing, like, Chichiri's past in a more complete way, in a more detailed way, because I feel mm-hmm. like his backstory sort of always uh, deserved more focus because there's a lot there, and it really, really informs who he is now. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it was it it was re- it's really good to see that sort of get fleshed out, and you know, going on the theme of different kinds of love, like the the way love can be twisted but also redeemed and recovered, because Tichiri is he's he's got so much anger, but he's also never stopped loving them. Yeah, this this is definitely the case where like there are nice moments in the other side stories i think but this is the one that actually feels necessary to me like this is a wrap up to his character that i was mm-hmm. glad to have and and felt unresolved before yeah it's it it yeah it's it's good it's real good <laughs> i i i did I, I did roll my eyes a little bit at the whole like ostensibly yes uh the whole like she was sad because she cheated is fine but but it boy is it gendered boy is it gendered yeah i think it fits into um i mean i think we see this a lot in fy these these kind of rigid rules of purity Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. and how that can mess things up i don't again i don't think the series is like lauding it because it clearly ended very poorly for everybody involved but yeah it's it's a little bit of a oh that's that's what happened there kind of moment i think right Um, where watase i think i think it was watase really didn't want koran I, I think Watase was kind of trying to go out of her way to not make her seem like a villain. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was the goal yeah, there. Not a... um, like, not an evil woman who broke up the boys. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. I think, that, I think that was why that they worked that in, where it was like, well, no, she didn't actually betray you. She just felt like like a guy forced a kiss on her, and there's these, you know, kind of very rigid rules about, um, like, faithfulness and purity, and she felt like she had broken those. Um, and that was why she decided that she, she couldn't, that she broke off the engagement. Um, which, again, it's such a damn tragedy because it's kind of it's one of those things where if there had been more time mm-hmm. they probably could have talked through that and worked it out um but sometimes uh, kind of like in uh, the Noriko story with Roko sometimes you don't have a someday sometimes you don't you don't have a extra time to work things out it's it's a it's a, oh it's god i love this episode i'm having he, a hard time figuring out what to he, start he didn't let go of his uh, hand, hand you guys he didn't let go he didn't let go i'll never let go going to be okay <laughs> I need to hug. I'm hugging my Chichiri doll oh. now. I have a Chichiri <laughs> UFO doll, dear listeners, and I am I am hugging it because Chichiri needs a lot of hugs. Um, he gets. I feel like he gets some emotional hugs this episode, which is uh, so. Uh, first, one thing, Caitlin, real quick to talk about that you mentioned mm-hmm. earlier was getting more of that backstory. I really appreciate the way the series kind of plays with perspective there, because when Chichiri tells this story, he's like, "Yeah, I killed him." killed my best friend mm-hmm. that's what happened and so you hear that and you're like oh i guess they got in like a fight and he like stabbed him or something like you yeah know. like because like the wound on his face made me think like a, a knife fight or something mm-hmm. yeah and then you actually get to see it and it turns out that uh it's kind of I, I think it i think it does kind of a nice job of playing with the idea of like memory and guilt and the stories that we build for mm-hmm. ourselves and and for him he's he's the he's a hundred percent the villain and like he is responsible in, in part for this, because if they weren't fighting on the edge of a riverbank, like he probably wouldn't have fallen in. But it wasn't like he actually killed him. It was an accident. But I think it's very important that the character does not see it that way. And that, you know, uh, influences 
the way he talks to Miyaka, the relationship he has with some of the other warriors. Mm-hmm. His God, his light novel is really good. Really kind of uh, goes into a lot of the sort of grief and guilt that he lived with before he sort of eventually came out the other side, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as this like happy-go-lucky, like big brother figure. So first of all, I have a really huge soft spot for stories about uh, characters who kind of just like quietly looked after everybody and never really made a big deal about it. And then suddenly they need those people to support them. And then mm-hmm. those people step up and do exactly that without even needing to be asked. And then and then Dee dies um, because her heart grows three sizes and crushes her. Oh, <laughs> But and that's one of the things I really like about this story is Mitsukake's speech at the beginning when uh, Shiri's like, yeah, I can't. There's no way I can do this. And he kind of uh, speaks up and says, you know, you don't have to do this alone. Like, mm-hmm. we're all here for you. And then all the other warriors kind of chime in and talk is like, yeah, you've been saving my ass for a long time. So if you need uh, if you need anything, uh, we're, we're here for you. Yeah, it's uh, it's nice. It's... I think that's wonderful. First of all, because I think you can draw some... There's a lot of stories, even in the Fushigi universe, about villains, like villains who are sympathetic because of some kind of past trauma they've had, right? Like this idea of like people aren't just born evil. They Events happen that, that cause them to go down that path. And that's, that's, that's valid, valuable, obviously. But if you have too many of those, it can, it can turn into like past trauma makes you evil. And that's not good. That's very bad. No. So I, I like. I think it's. I think it's really good and important that F, that Fushigi has stories like Chichiri's about somebody who does have these unthinkable uh, tragedies mm-hmm. happen, and and goes through a lot. Again, in the light novel, uh, the light novel opens with him trying to kill himself. Uh, that is how that book opens, and uh, uh, he, he he does not succeed. And then he meets some people who help him, and he slowly kind of becomes sort of makes semi peace with uh, his past and and finds this this new purpose to be a warrior and to, you know, help out these other people and then become, and then develop friendships. And I adore that. I I adore stories like that because I think they're very, I think they're important for everyone to have. Like, I mean, obviously I've never gone through anything like this, but I think having stories of people who do go through terrible things and then, uh, you know, kind of come out the other side after going through, you know, a lot of, grief and guilt and uh, self-harm and everything else. And they come out the other side and they're, they're a good person. They, they can look after other people. They can be um, a, a member of the, of the team and, and have uh, a new community. I just, it's just really good. You guys. Yeah. I still, I do in a way kind of wish that Chichiri had still had that sort of that, like the idea of him ha- being this like huge force for good and he like he's a monk and he has like this darkness inside of him that he could do something so malicious to his best friend instead of just like he thought he let go but he didn't like I mean I would be okay with a more morally gray character than this OAV sort of built him as but at the same time mm-hmm. like seeing him reach closure on that issue was really um really satisfying cuz yeah he's all, he he's sort of been the guy who has the most complicated backstory and the most sort of internal pain about it so he'll maybe he'll finally be able to move on i like to think so um well and i i think that uh, it I think this episode does a good job of kind of reminding you that that you know he he has found this this new group of people and is mm-hmm. trying to um, 
who was, you know, a member of that team. And it's it's nice because, like, I think something somewhat similar happens uh, with Tamahome where, you know, I mean, his entire family is murdered and he goes through this, this you know, unthinkable mm-hmm. loss and, you know, and doesn't turn evil. He continues to be a member of, the, of this team and a, a good person. But Tamahome, his answer to this was to just devote his entire being to one person. Right. And we've talked before about how that's maybe not so great. No, um, <laughs> it's, it's not. not that's not a. That's not a. That's not a helpful answer. That's that's in many ways like codependence and very unhealthy. Yeah, and, and so that's I, always uh, sort of bothering I, me. Whenever he's like, "I only exist for Miyaka," I'm just like, "Okay, dude, slow uh, your roll." Right. Yeah. Every time he says that, I just I groan very loudly, and then I and then I go back to watching. Like like <laughs> I, I I I get that it's the fantasy for the like the assumed straight young woman watching, but oh boy. Mm-hmm. Oh boy. That would get yeah, very it's, suffocating it's like, very fast. Oh yeah, um, and and no one should have that. So, I like that we have we have kind of a similar a story of loss and tragedy here. But the the meaning on the other side comes from like a variety of different things. You know, the community, the cause, the purpose, um, new abilities, etc. So I think in a, I think in a lot of ways it's a more helpful and healthier story about that. Mm. And, uh, mm-hmm. and it allows him, I think it allowed him in, uh, the first arc to go out of his way to help Miyaka and Yui in ways that were integral to them, uh, being able to repair their relationship, um, which is kind of that sense of like, you know, not allowing history to repeat itself, right. which is very good. Um, oh, uh, this I think is, is, is worth mentioning. It's not, he and Hiko reconcile, but it's not a cut and dried happy ending. No. Mm. Hiko still dies, and basically, on almost the last thing he says to him is, "Were we, are, were we even really best friends? We distrusted each other so quickly. Can you even say that we were actually yeah. friends?" And so there's that sense of, I think there's kind of that sense of like you can never fully some some relationships can be fully repaired and some mm-hmm. can't, and sometimes it's it's a matter of of time and the fact that you know Hiko is dead, he's not coming back, and sometimes it's a matter of of the relationship maybe was broken. Um, and so I think the fact that it it hangs you with that ending of it's not that Chichiri and Hiko hugged it out um, and and swore you know eternal love for each other uh, as besties. Right. Um, it's it's more like you just at a certain point you have to make peace with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I appreciate stories that aren't easy. I love that Miyaka and Yui uh, repaired their relationship, and I love that you know at the end like we talked about like she's not let completely off the hook. It's like I'm totally gonna yell about you later. Mm-hmm. Um, but by the time we meet up with them again, their relationship is they're, they're doing good. They're best friends again. Um, and you don't really get a feel for like maybe some of the potential tension that might still linger. And so I think it's, I think it's, it's good that it's valuable that the story does that, um, that it, it points out that, you know, it's not always going to be going to be simple or, or perfect, but that there's still, you know, something on the other side. You've still got, you've still got your new boy, your, your new bro, Cherry and Toski, best friends. Besties. <laughs> Oh, quick side note. Um, and I'm, hmm, I don't know how much I should get into this because it's not my, it's not my uh, topic of expertise, but I think it is kind of worth mentioning. Mm-hmm. Like scars and disabilities in a lot of media tend to be depicted as either a mark of like evil or a mark of like a tainted past. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Mm-hmm. And I think Shigeyugi kind of starts off doing that. Like Chichiri's not a bad guy. I remember when I found it like, I didn't realize that like disability and like scars, things like that were um, shitty tropes necessarily, mm-hmm. like that marked people as villains. And a lot of it was because like this was an early character model of that. And I was like, but he's like the best person in the show. I don't understand. Mm-hmm. But I do think that there is kind of that element of like it's 
it's a shorthand physical representation of that the character is like is quote unquote damaged does that make sense Mm -hmm. yeah I think it starts with that. Um, the one thing I think is nice about Fushigi that I had not really considered until this watch through, it gets glossed over a little bit in the OVA, but it comes up in uh, Eiko Den. Mitsukake gives Chichiri his healing water and is like, hey, uh, hang on to this in, you know, in a few, in a year or so, or when, whenever you feel better about it, like you can use this to heal your eye. And he never does. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's kind of, I, again, I don't, I don't know 100% how to talk about it. I think that's a good thing. I think it's nice that a character who who has made peace with that, like it's not just a shorthand for him being damaged, like it's just a part of who he is and that's okay. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like he doesn't have to to fix, quote unquote, his uh, physical disabilities because I mean, he is one eyed. Yeah, no, no, I I, yeah. I'm, I am not an expert either, but you know, I, I think I follow what you're saying with the intent there. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. I always kind of liked the fact that he never... I, I sort of wish that he had dropped the mask at one point. I thought that would have been nice, like, more of an understanding of, I don't need this to get people to accept me kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, I'm good as I am. Um, he does wear it less in the OVA, so maybe that speaks to him being more comfortable around the rest of the Warriors after this moment. But I always, I always thought it was um, kind of worth noting and important that, that he kept that with him, mm. I guess. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I feel you. Okay, I'm sorry. I talked so long about you, Cherry. I warned you guys that I would. I'm sorry, listeners. I hope you enjoyed. I hope you enjoyed listening to me talk about my favorite anime character of all time. So she has feelings. Um, mm-hmm. I like him a lot. He's very. I think he's really, really well written, especially over the scope of the entire franchise. Which, and I haven't been able to talk about him like at all up to this point because it's really hard to talk about him without knowing the full backstory and spoilers. So. I just I just had to let it all out in one go. <laughs> but anyway, I am going to stop talking for a while. <laughs> okay. All right. All I'm right, recover. Ask y'all, um what you think so so uh, we get we get through the best episode in the entire series. Fight me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh we get to uh Tamahome, I guess, appears. Um, Boy, this, yeah. I have one fun story. I have one fun story, and then I'm going to shut up and let you guys talk about uh, the Takatama Home Miyaka uh, uh, stuff that happens here at the end. Um, I was watching this with a friend, a couple of friends. Tamahome shows up, and my friend goes, wow, they could, and then kind of blushes and goes, never mind. My other friend goes, have an awesome threesome. <laughs> and she was like, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, Amazing. That's what I think about. That's what I think about when he shows up. So I call them the ultimate threesome. <laughs> um, anyway, have some have some thoughts. Have some have well, some discussions about it. I'll I'll chime in occasionally, but mostly I'm I'm going to drink some wine and and recover from having a lot of emotions about my my favorite boy. Okay. It's all good. It's all good. I mean, all right. Yeah. The, so yeah, <sighs> I don't know if the manga did it better, but boy, uh, who is this other? The, boy, the four kings of heaven, or the, the four fallen kings, or whatever, is is awfully rushed in the OVA. Like it serves its purpose, but it doesn't really. Yeah, it's like okay, no, I agree. No, the the reasoning yeah, here like... is he's just not okay. Fine. I barely remember anything about them, honestly. I know like it, this was all part of Tenko's thing, but like I barely remember anything about the four kings, um, except they that Shiri's all... friend was one of them. Um, yeah. They were all supposed to be people who had, um, like, had basically died um, in a way that left them with a lot of lingering rage and anger. And Tenko was, this is a running thing in Fushigi Yugi, um, the bad guy takes people who have, who have these, this, like, anger and rage 
often justified and twist it to manipulate it. Um, and so then they became like his demon minions, mm-hmm. uh, functionally. Um, so you had the incest siblings and then you had Hiko and then you have this guy, I think his name's Yosui. He doesn't matter. He doesn't have a personality. He exists to be not Takahome. Right. Takahome. Yes. Right. And it's like, okay, when Tamahome showed up, it was obvious, like, to me as the viewer that, yes, Taco was the real one and this was a ruse, but, like, it seemed like his personality was very clear. Like, he was not acting like Tamahome. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's one of those cases where, like, you know, obviously there's the problem of people in Dracula don't know they're in Dracula, but that doesn't right. apply here. Like, he is clearly acting different. And they have right, had like, enough shenanigans of people impersonating other people. Yeah. Like, he's, he does, like, just start looking at Taka and being like, well, thanks for taking care of my girl. Peace. Like, that's not, that's, that's not how Tom, that's not who Tamahome is. Mm-hmm. Like, he's not that flippant about, like, things like that. It, it's definitely like, ah, shit, we need a third act misunderstanding. Well, this'll work. <laughs> I mean, it sort of makes sense as, like, the finale of, like, sort of... It's, it's just... It... Uh, and the fiction versus, like, the fiction versus reality sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it makes sense, but it's still, like, if there had been more ambiguity about whether that guy was really Tamahome, mm-hmm. that would have been more powerful. And, like, I, I think like... that the moment it exists to set up, or where Miyaka... Mm-hmm embraces that she really likes this guy and talks about how it took her a long time to call him Taka and I I think all of that is nice I do but I just think the lead up is so nakedly mechanical and yeah usually the usually this series is better at hiding that shit yeah and some of it was that it was a little bit rushed they were cramming an entire volume of manga into that last episode um so which again I think they did a remarkably good job of it all things considered Um, the paradise kiss final episode (laughs) Syndrome. But they definitely they definitely rushed through the early bit. Um, the part where Miyako realizes that uh, she loves Taka and they call out to each other across worlds and then she greets him and there's a pretty manga panel of them hugging. Mm-hmm. I couldn't believe it this time through. And I was like, oh, yeah, like, I, like I she loves to care. Mm-hmm. She doesn't just love Taka as a repeat of Tamahome. She loves Taka as Taka. And I wish like and it's mm-hmm. nice. Yeah, and it's really nice. Mm-hmm. And like I keep saying, I really wish they had worked more on that, like and driven that home more, like Taka as a separate entity from Tamahome, because it's like mm-hmm. they're making him recover all of these memories. What if he doesn't necessarily like want those memories? Like he has his own life. Why does he have to be like why why does he have to be a repeat of Tamahome? Why does he have to take on this identity that is not him anymore? Like, it, it looks at his sort of feeling of infor- inferiority, which is absolutely uh, a valid thing. But I just really wanted more about Taka's identity as Taka and uh, the way everyone treats him like someone who he isn't and, and him wanting to as- like assert who he is as his own person. Like, that that was really what I wanted. And okay, so D, so mm-hmm. um, in the manga, they... Said yes. that Taka would disappear without his jewels of memory mm-hmm. because he was basically a construct. Um, yes, and they they did not go into this at all in the anime. But then you mentioned Which is that good in... because at the end of the manga they backtrack. <laughs> so so why would he disappear if he was like 
if they backtrack on that and it's like, no, Taka was a person who was born in this world, who lived a real life, why would he disappear <laughs> from both worlds? Is that something that is explained? Uh, maybe. Like, <laughs> I'm having a, I, I, I probably not. No, I don't think it really is. The OAVs... Um, I think you can kind of squint and come up with something. Uh, the, OA, the, the, and this is one of the things I think the anime kind of does well is it doesn't really talk about him. Oh, I think I kind of remember what it was. It was basically all a big trick by Tenko. Tenko's making him disappear. Uh, yeah. Functionally, Tenko is kind of kind of pulling the strings on this one. He did lose these memories, and having them back is advantageous because of like having his powers and abilities mm -hmm. back um, from the other world. But Tenko essentially essentially kind of set this whole thing in motion because uh, he's fueled by negative emotions. So he was like, "Well, I can use these guys and put them through shit, and they can make me stronger." Um, and so the, the jewels were kind of his way of doing mm. that. And I think that was pretty much how they rolled with that storyline. I don't, I'm not even sure Taka was ever actually going to disappear. I think that was, I think that was all a, I think that was all a ruse. Cause that's something they um, do in Aegoden too. That, oh, oh, the character yeah, is randomly disappearing um, because and, I don't know. And there's at the tail end, um, when, uh, Miyaka jumps out in front to protect, uh, Taka and uh seems to kind of die and taka kind of snaps um i think it's i think it's chichiri kind of figures out he's he says to tenko something to the effect of like oh is this is what you meant by making them disappear and tenko's like yeah i can't actually disappear people um but the role of a god is to like basically get people to do stuff essentially like you can't directly do it but you can like influence them and so by disappear he meant he was going to uh essentially destroy miyaka and taka um via emotions <laughs> I guess I <clears throat> feelings. I, the ending is very emotionally resonant to me, mm -hmm. so I don't sweat it too much on the plot stuff. Um, <laughs> one thing I do, I, I I'll mention this real quick because we're probably we're getting ready to, to skip past it. Um, when uh, Tamahome's all, "Hey, let's be together," Miyaka's like, "No, it's Taka." Um, I sort of realized the series does a really nice job of framing so much of the story uh, based on Miyaka having a choice, and then mm -hmm. the story reflect respecting that choice and i really like that mm. just that right. is it just a random aside yeah it so she 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 picks taka she you know she decides to become the priestess she decides to go after the shinzaho like there's moments periodically throughout the story where it's like well what do you want to do and then miyaka's like well here's here's my decision here right um, yeah no I, so I, I think agree. that's nice mm -hmm. that that keeps happening because there's a lot of there's a lot of stories out there um not just shoujo mm -hmm. um but you know we're talking about shoujo so that is very much the female characters kind of just stumble into situations right. and it's pretty much framed entirely against their will almost the entire time. I mean, which like, is a Miyaka lot of stumbles Sushi into the book, TV series. but then she makes several conscious choices to keep being a part of the book. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that's good. That's it. I just wanted to add that. Oh yeah. It's, it's, it's nice. It's a nice thing. Like it's. So yeah, they defeat Tenko with their emotions and their friendship and their feelings. And, and then Miyaka has a big speech about how much she loves them and how they'll, mm-hmm. Uh, always have each other, and then D cries a little bit, <laughs> and Aww. then that music box, that music box instrumental comes in, and I just turn into a big blubbery snap. Mm. Uh, 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 again, uh, they are now, I guess, the personification of love because Suzaku is the god of love, and I'm a little bit like, okay, I you've battered me over the head enough with their super destined love, and I actually yeah. kind of believe in Miyaka and Taka, so fine, fine. Yeah. <laughs> 
It's I do. It got to the point where it was like they've been through so much. Yes. Be, go be happy, please. Yeah, I still I really want that for you now. I don't like I don't love his whole like I only exist for Miyaka, especially since as oh, I hate it. As Taka, he has I keep saying he has a life as Taka. Mm-hmm. He has mm-hmm. been around for like eighteen years before he met Miyaka and he may have like had memories of her, but like he's had time to build, form his own identity outside of that. And that's like I'm sorry, like question like questions of identity in fiction stories about that are like really like my mm-hmm. jam mm-hmm. but yeah like it's it, it it doesn't go like it's it's that that whole thing i feel like kind of undermines itself oh yeah i feel you i feel you like it, i said mm-hmm. to, to assert like when he I, is a book character i get it it's like playing into the fantasy of the partner who exists only for you but then you're supposed yeah. to break out from that when he's a real people yeah like when he's in the book he does exist for her when he uh, mm-hmm. he is tamahome yes but he has takas not like yeah so <sighs> that's a thing yeah yeah, I wish they'd done it better. I almost wish he had not, like, I understand the idea of, like, accepting uh, who you were in your previous existence kind of thing, like, when he brings Tamahome sort of into him and they kind of become one person at the end. Um, I get what it was going for with that. I almost wish that hadn't mm-hmm. happened, though. And it had been like, no, Taka never got those memories back, and it's fine. He doesn't need mm-hmm. them. Um, he's, you know, because that is the arc they were going for with him. Like, he's like, no, I am my own person. Um, but then he still ends up fusing i guess yeah with tamahome i'm now imagining them doing the little fusion dance yes dragon ball z <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's adorable in my head so i kind of i think that does kind of undermine it yeah but you know all the characters had had their i like it i like oni too um it, it has some nice again, feelings I think, it, I think it it's it's got it i think it, it hits its ending very well mm-hmm and it's real hard for me to talk about why my favorite character ever is Chichiri without that episode. So, like, people should watch Oni 2. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know what people shouldn't watch? They probably <sighs> should forget Eiko Den ever existed. Uh, yeah, so uh, it's so... Here's the... I think my... This is the thing I hate the most about Eiko Den. We just had a big emotional finale, and we should just be done. That should be where mm-hmm. we wrap up and we finish our conversation. But we still have to talk about Eiko Den, and Eiko Den exists... It sure does exist. Yeah. Um, the anime was... Here, I'll give you guys some background. The anime was released between the end of 2001 and the beginning of 2002, which was co- coincidentally the exact time I was discovering the series. Same. Um, yeah. It is based on three light novels. Uh, the two-part Echo Den, uh, which was published in 2000 and is the main story here of, of Mayo going into the book. Um, and then, just for funsies, they also crammed in uh, sections of Suzaku Hiden, which was, uh, it's technically Hotohori's light novel, but it's told pretty much exclusively from Hoki's perspective. Um, it's about their relationship and this older brother of his that she knew, and then they have, like, this whole conflict, which right. again, gets crammed into, like, five minutes and is very badly mm-hmm. done. Um, you sure can tell they were cramming three books into four episodes in, in Eiko Den. It also, fun fact, only story, only anime in the series, it has a different director. It's not Kamegaki, I think that's his name. Yeah, Hajime Kamigaki was the director of everything up until this point, and then, for whatever reason, uh, they switched to a different director. It's Shimazaki and Nanako, and it's nice that they got a woman to direct it, but I think you can very much tell that it's directed by somebody else who does not have as good a grasp Mm -hmm, on the franchise, mm -hmm. and I think that really hurts it in the long run. Okay, so Eiko Den. It sucks. What do you want to say about Eiko Den? Thanks, I hate it. 
um yeah no it's it's bad i honestly felt really betrayed by it because it took me a long time to get the chance to see it and i was so excited for it and it was just the world's biggest letdown so yeah like mayo is awful and the series asks us to fucking sympathize with her and does a really bad job does of a... explaining to us why mm-hmm. we should yeah like it's it is rushed and and it does it like it, it's just so like flat and lifeless and it just has like i feel like the oav like the oavs were very hit or miss like the ones previous to this but like this was all like it had none of the magic of the tv series mm-hmm. yeah um, it just it feels so mean-spirited it is it's mean and the whole last episode is like trying to explain why it's not but it, you can't just walk that back like yeah like like at the end it's like oh no 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 this is really it's just here's what we're actually trying to say that you should do things responsibly and um you don't understand but but like the first like two-thirds of this ova is about and a girl from a bad home life trying to escape literally into fiction and how she's stupid and bitchy and mean for doing that. We were talking about how Miyaka makes choices and like is proactive later on, but she does kind of accidentally herself into the book. And like it feels mm-hmm. like it's punishing Mayo for for making the active choice to do something rather than happening to be into something. Oh my god, the the final episode, like it really does just like when it tries to turn around and justify everything, it takes away the female characters. It takes away all their agency in the matter. Oh, and also apparently fuck Yui again, I guess. Oh yeah. It's all her fault because she was jealous. Like holy shit, this is not I think it wants to say a thing about how it's sad and and harmful that jealousy comes between female friendships, but it never actually brings like men or power structures into right. this. So it's not like, isn't it sad that we have a system that forces women into competition and that sucks and female friendship is important, which I feel like the series tried really hard to do. This is just like, man, isn't doesn't it suck how women are shallow and mm-hmm. jealous, bitchy harpies? They should yeah, stop listen- doing that. If it really is because, like, they summon say to you too early, like, it's not Yui's fault. It's Nakago's fault. He's the one who forced the issue. He's the one who gaslit her into becoming... Nakago ruins everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I hate this. I hate it. Uh, everyone else everyone else tells Yui it's not her fault. So, and just, I mean, true. there's that at least. Yeah, but, but it's like, oh, god damn it. Like, and Miyaka, Miyaka basically runs the show the entire time, turns out. Although they make a big deal about it being, like, subconscious, which I thought was weird. Mm-hmm. Um, like, if you want this to be a story about Miyaka, like, quietly supporting some uh, a young girl who's in a similar situation to where she was and trying to help her, like, save the world and believe in herself, then this is not the way to yeah, do that. Yeah, maybe you don't make that the third act uh, twist. Maybe you seed that throughout. And also, like, Well, and if you yeah. want to make Miyaka the third act twist, then you got to make Maya more sympathetic earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I haven't, so I can't, I don't think, I, I think I've only ever read a summary. I know I read the light novels for this a, a long, long time ago, but they're not available online anymore. I reread the summary, though, and the light novel, at least, it's not particularly good either, but it at least establishes, like, everything that's going on with Mayo early, so you can at least kind of understand why she would be so gung-ho about this situation. And it also does a slightly better job of pointing out that Mayo truly sees everyone in this as a fictional character, which is why, like, murdering a baby doesn't bother her. Right, she's got um, Ken Ichijoji syndrome. Is a very, 
Yeah, like I can you explain? Oh, that? um, sorry. In, in Digimon, um, in the second season of Digimon, there's this character who spends the first season as the villain because he thinks all of this is a computer simulation that isn't real. So it's totally cool for him to use it as escapism and hurt a bunch of actually sentient beings. Yeah. So that's that's again that's I think that's kind of what the LN was what the light novel was going for. And then like as she sort of starts to meet and spend time with like Bo- Boshin and Hoki. She starts to realize, like, oh, well, they're fictional, but they're still, like, mm-hmm. people, and they still matter, and I don't actually want to hurt them. Um, but I say all this knowing that the – I say all this with the understanding that the anime does a piss-poor job of conveying any of this. Yeah, it wants – like, I wanted to meet it halfway on the scene where, like, Mayo and Hoki have a moment because I like Hoki. And, mm-hmm. but, but, yeah, yeah. but, like, boy, does it not – it does not earn that moment. It does not earn yeah. suddenly having this awful, awful character in tears and sympathizing with mm-hmm. others and, oh, my God. Yeah, like, listen, I am all for offering compassion to troubled teens. Mm-hmm. But – I gotta say, if someone talked that way to a child in my care, I would have kicked their ass up and down the hallway. <laughs> like, that is super, like, just like, that is fucked up to sit there and tell a 12-year-old that his dad was actually, like, a sh- shitty dude. Tell him a falsified version of it. Yeah. I would, like, I would have ruined her. <laughs> that is such an awful thing to do. Well, especially because in mm-hmm. the anime, there's not even. Okay, first of all, it do- it puts the reveal that her parents are getting divorced afterwards. Secondly, I-, I I guess you can like read into it after the fact that you know one of her like her dad probably was unfaithful, but that's not evident in the flashbacks. Nor is it where it should. It's so badly told. It's so bad. And well, and she's also like. Like, she gets the line, and this is an amazing line, but also she's awful. They can't even kill a baby. She's threatening <laughs> to force a miscarriage of Tamahomi and Miyaka's child. Like, and listen, great, great area, but like, like, they want this goddamn baby. I will try to murder this child that you want so, so badly. Like, what the hell? And also, like, listen. Mm, it's such a fine line to walk with like pregnancy narratives but the fact that Miyaka is no longer allowed to be active until she's the third act twist because she's pregnant and also this teenage girl is using a baby trap to get the man she wants and oh my god the layers of bullshit and even then (laughs) even even then it's all stuff Miyaka did subconsciously she senses subconsciously she did not make a choice like oh like, the universe of the four gods is in trouble. I need to, like, they need a new priestess to summon Suzaku. So I'm going to find a new priestess, and she's going to come into that world. And she's going to be the caretaker of my baby, who is the Shinzo, which is also really weird. Mm-hmm. The yeah, baby's really weird. also really oh, weird. Shinzo's are supposed to, like, you're supposed to have them on you when you summoned your god. Uh, yeah, like, they're rings. Okay, so in that... In that in that light novel where where uh, Tosuke and Chichiri join the circus, the implication is that their Shinzaho was intangible, and it was like love, and so which they definitely had with them when they summoned Suzaku. I'll give them that. And so I guess the I guess if you want to squint, the idea is that like the baby is a uh, physical manifestation of their love. So it's real stupid and weird though. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I explained this to you with a chuckle in my voice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then. And then there's the Looney Tunes babies, like, roundup, which is... Oh, like the cute baby Seishi. 
I love I, the cute I baby did. warriors. I mean, and I don't hate. Well, I hate part of it, but like, it's just, it's just mm, mm, the way they do it is not. Mm. Like, I was kind of excited to see them living in their new lives, but that lasts about five seconds yeah. before they're yeah. just their old selves again. And then they're taking these children out of their homes. And they take Noriko without asking, which is the funniest fucking thing. Because they're like, well, there's demons in the village, so I guess we just kidnapped a child. Oops. (laughs) (laughs) Our heroes, ladies and gentlemen. Like, like it's just, it is so, like, laughably bad. And like I said, they're not living new lives, really. They're just following the same patterns, falling in love with the same people. Like, And also, I, mm, every, Noriko. Like, oh, are you Nariko being born as a girl? Well, like, or just like on the one hand, as like in character logic, I'm very happy for her. Uh, on the other hand, the fact that that in tandem with the fact that she is still in love with Hotahori, who she's so much better than, and the fact that <laughs> you know now the assembled Suzaku warriors are like, oh, isn't that cute? When before they gave her so much shit, like in her previous life. And also combined with, the, like, the the very implication that, okay, so, like, the end of Noriko's life was about, you know, exploring this more fluid gender identity and wanting mm-hmm. to be a man for Miyaka or whatever. But they were reborn in the bodies they wanted, so... So... What the fuck? So, yeah, like, and, and it's like... And I mean, for what it's worth, these were not written by you, Watase. Watase sketches out the outline for oh, Okay, yeah. She, she, she came up with the basic idea and she would work with Nishizaki and then uh, Nishizaki would kind of fill in some of the gaps. And I don't dislike, like, Nishizaki's not an amazing writer, but I don't dislike the way she characterizes um, the warriors through some of the other light novels. Um, so I don't know how much of this I want to blame on the light novel okay. and how much of it is just a very, very bad anime adaptation. Mm. Yeah, I mean, so. that's, that's fair. I, I, I will um, give them that baby Noriko is precious and I want to hug her. Oh, she's very cute. She immediately still... starts trolling Toski. It's so good. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so good. Like, oh, and like, oh, how about pointing a sword at poor, like, reincarnated Hodohori's throat? Yes, let's just, like, traumatize this 11-year-old child to make the make his previous life life come out like yeah i remember that's not how it went down in the light novel like they completely changed that and i don't know why that's not like um, <sighs> well and the thing is like the thing about echo den that i think bugs me the most is i think there is an interesting story kind of buried somewhere in echo den <laughs> and we don't get to see it um, and this to me is this this moment here with Hotahori is like a really good example of kind of wasted potential is his past his past lives wife and son are outside the room. Like if you want to wake him up, them like calling to him would probably be an emotionally affecting mm-hmm. way to do it. But no, let's just point a sword at him. Well, and also <laughs> and scare him away. Like, like smaller thing. But we finally got to see Noriko and Hoki interact on screen. And there is like a one line acknowledgement that they know each other and are friendly. And whoosh, we're moving on. Oh, I mean, I thought it was <laughs> yeah. stronger than that. Like they seemed really excited to see each other. It was cute. Maybe yeah, that was I liked dub. that moment. Well, I thought it was cute that like Hoki immediately was like, oh, my God, I recognize that voice. <laughs> um <laughs> And they had a little moment through the door. Um, the bigger issue, though, is that that light novel, none of that was ever, like, adapted. So I guess they just assumed the audience would know. Yeah. Uh, they um. were really good friends at one point. But yeah, like, um, so there's also... It's not a very like, good story. No, it's, yeah, it's just... Well, and bringing in Mayo's friend, because we're just admitting now that Mayo is a pale, pale copy of Miyaka. So here's her Yui. And I have no emotional 
investment in this friendship at all. Yeah, like we didn't even did you know. we even see them interact before Maya went into the book? Uh, there's like a brief scene at the very beginning of the first episode, but really, no, you don't okay. get much there at all. Which sucks because I think the idea of like you know being pulled back because of a friendship is. Again, one of those moments where the series tries to balance like mm-hmm, romance mm-hmm. and friendship and maybe friendship even takes greater priority, but we don't know who this character is. We don't know their relationship, so it doesn't yeah. really matter. And, and yeah. Like I do see the potential for an interesting story in here, but it's just like no. Yeah, and it's I like think... oh, uh, I just like this this part of the discussion is getting so chattered cuz we're just sort of yelling whatever pops into our heads. <laughs> But it's, it's fine. Like, I don't have a lot of notes for Echo Den, so um, let's just but it's like, where we want to go. It's like Taka talking on his fucking cell phone. <laughs> In the other world where he yeah. gets reception. <laughs> for some reason. Yeah, that part makes me laugh. And it's one of those, that's to me one of those stupid kind of ridiculous moments in the series where if everything else around it is working, I just kind of chuckle and I'm like, okay, it's fine. Let's, but let's nothing move on. else around it was working. No, not so much. Uh... All right, so so I do want to like I want to talk a little bit more coherently about the like big ending plot twist slash ass pull at the end, um, where it is basically removing it is it is making Mayo blameless and removing basically all her ener- her agency. Because mm-hmm. like like Nariko is like, oh, Mayo did nothing wrong, and it's like, first of all, no, Mayo did everything wrong. Mayo did so many so things. Mayo did a lot of things wrong. For example, trying to murder baby Chiriko. Mm-hmm. But, um, oh, she was just pulled in. Miyaka gave her the baby to protect it because it's the Shinzaho. And it's mm-hmm. like, okay, it's like, wouldn't Miyaka choose a better candidate? Like, <laughs> compassion only goes so far. Mm-hmm. Like, even if Miyaka knew Mayo and saw that she was troubled... She caught the bouquet, Caitlin. She caught the bouquet. Oh, if she doesn't, if this bouquet doesn't bring happiness to whoever caught it, I'll feel so guilty. And like, I mean, that is a very Miyaka thing to say. Mm-hmm. But it's like, it absolutely. But is. it's like you you put your child in danger with this horrible, spiteful girl, and you put Taka through so much, having to like deal with this girl who's like obsessed with him in a very unhealthy way. Mm-hmm. And then Miyaka and Taka both sort of take the responsibility for it. And I mean, again, she's, what, 16? So to a certain point, I get, like, adults wanting to be responsible adults. Um, so... But, like, Taka's even like, oh, if I'd, only, if I'd only noticed, maybe I could have, you know, talked to her and let her down easy or something. And I'm like, dude, it's not your fault that you didn't notice that a teenager was crushing on Yeah, her. like, so anyway, Mayo essentially becomes a vessel. She did not... Like, she didn't gather the Suzaku warriors. She didn't have to, like, actually go through anything in the universe of the four gods. She didn't have any, like, real growth except because Hoki told her a sad story. And she got uh, manipulated by an evil demon. Right. It's like, you could say, oh, Mayo's not responsible for all of the things that have happened. Like, that's fair. And that is a problem. Like, but saying like saying she did nothing wrong is absolutely wrong, mm-hmm. like incorrect. Because no, she's not. she's a horrible, spiteful, horrible, horrible, spiteful person. Um, and there is arguably, and you guys kind of touched on this when we first started the conversation, and then we spiraled off into some other directions. There is arguably an idea at the heart of this that is about like fans and fandom, and how the kind of like 
because Mayo kind of is like a fangirl of the universe of the four gods, kind of. And she takes the story and decides that she, you know, wants to like write her own or add her own story to it at the beginning, um, which is how things sort of start out. And there is something kind of buried in here that I think would be an, an interesting conversation that a story like Shigugi that directly deals with like a fictional universe would be really interesting to talk about, which is like that's kind of like that, that selfishness of like, Oh, I don't want to share this story with anybody else. I want to have it all to myself or the idea of that kind of that same thing that comes up in the OVAs uh, in part in Oni two about like how love can be both destructive and uh uh, productive and you know making sure that you choose the one that's not destructive and but I think that if if it wanted to tell that story and make Mayo kind of almost like a reader stand-in then you have to give her some kind of agency at the end where she realizes oh you're right like this this it's important that we keep telling this story because otherwise the story dies mm-hmm. and you have to do so but but it's also important to do so responsibly but then Mayo needs to like actually be able to wield some of that storyteller right. power and she doesn't right yeah all. no she just she lies on the futon as they summon Suzaku yeah, and it's well and I think you could tell a neat story here about especially if you're telling a story about fandom about um you know internalized misogyny uh, and the fact that it, uh, I read fan fiction in the early 2000s and there was a lot of uh, this female character is such a shallow bitch who doesn't deserve this boy because I do or I want mm-hmm. to pair him with this right. other boy. So like yeah. you could. Ever, nobody liked Miyaka. I mean, I shouldn't say nobody. Lo- Miyaka was not well. No, she was not. The, at least in the English speaking fandom world, people did not mm-hmm. care for her. So like you could totally tell a story about her going into this book with this expectation and then like maybe psychically talking to Miyaka and getting closer to Hoki and like forming all these nice positive relationships with women and maybe we would give a damn about her relationship with her best friend in the real world and that would be nice but we can't have nice things because this is Akaden. Um, you know, you know what the anime did do right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it cut out a certain thing. Oh yes god. Uh, it cut out uh... the fact that apparently... Keisuke had feelings for Mayo. Not okay. Not okay. No. Like, no, he's even older than Taka. No. And and this is this to me like like matters matters more than 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 the age gap. He's her teacher. He's her coach teacher. Person. He has he has a a position of authority over her. She is a and he is significantly she is older a than her. Vulnerable, like, I think a solid decade. Vulnerable girl who's going through a hard time in her life. Like I'll give her that. Like even if like they totally oversell the whole like she's she's damaged by her parents divorcing. Like having parents who fight all the goddamn time sucks, and it is not good for your mental health. Um, like she is going through a hard time right now, and she does not like. Mm-hmm. And Keisuke, Keisuke, my good, like precious boy. Keisuke's a good, another good boy. <laughs> like Toski, he is a uh-huh. good boy. He's a good boy. <laughs> Should know better than Why to was... prey on teenage girls. Yeah, yeah. Don't sully him like this, writers. <sighs> it's frustrating. So it's a good thing that the anime just left that out entirely, and he's just a he's just a concerned a concerned coach who uh, happens to kind of get dragged into this and does his best to help her yeah. out. So you know. I guess that's good, at least. I don't know. Anything else you like about the OVAs? Uh, I think the cute baby Seishi are kind of fun. They're kind of cute. I like that Chichiri seems very happy about being reunited with his cat. And yes, 
It's his cat. Yeah, it is his cat. <laughs> um, at um, that point. Like, I hadn't really noticed it, but as I was watching it, I was like, God, every time they're in this they're in this house, like, he finds an excuse to pick up the cat. Like, Shoka is dying, and they cut back to the warriors, and Chichiri's got the cat in his arms. And I'm like, you know what? That's extremely relatable. Yeah. I agree. Is there a cat around? I snuggle this cat right now. Happening? I would hold the cat. Yeah. Also, Hell yeah. Um, I would hold my, re- my reincarnated cat, especially. It's like, I miss you <laughs> also koji um, is fine he didn't make the cut but he's fine he's fine koji's in the light novel he's not in the uh anime but he and toski are happily married in light novel canon i mean okay that the, the marriage part is not canon but we all know it's mm-hmm. true uh they're quote unquote confirmed bachelors oh so. um oh this is an Aikoden, but i forgot uh until now uh probably the omake that made me laugh hardest Mm-hmm. You want to know? Mm. Sure. Uh, it was the one at the end of Oni 2 where <laughs> the Baby Toski. Baby Toski. Or, yes. <laughs> and it's awful. It's so dark. Um, so I just, uh, in, in the midst of my just like, and it's like, D, you said in the chat that like for you, Aikoden just kind of exists. But for me, like, yeah. it was like, it, it did feel like like uh, the trail i was like when i first saw that trailer for it on my vhs anime like mm. i got so excited yeah i was I, so see, my experience excited. was completely different and echo Den- oh sorry you it continue. broke my heart that it was i so yeah. terrible that it's that it's not yeah uh i had my i went into it knowing what i was getting i was aware of the light novels and i had read at least a summary at that point if not the actual translations so i i knew what kind of a story it was and i wasn't really expecting much from it i was honestly mostly just hoping it did well and then they would they would animate some of the other light novels because the ones that i actually liked a lot more uh so i i knew like i knew going in what it was and i watched it i was like yeah that was fine i got to see cute baby seishi that was fine (laughs) That was that was the that's kind of the extent of my my feelings on it. Um, if given the choice to watch it or, let's say, only one, I think I would pick Echo Ten. So I don't yeah. think it's the worst thing in the canon, but I don't have. I think it's utterly unnecessary. I have no. I really don't have a lot of feelings. Yeah, about no, it. it does like it does nothing. It doesn't. It doesn't. Uh, like it's like oh, we'll give you a glimpse into what the Seishi are like now, and other than Miss Kake, who is an adorable little crab. Um, you don't, you don't really get a feel for anybody else's, I mean, and Noriko's cute, but you don't really get a feel for like who they are and what their lives are like, um, because shit is happening so quickly. Um, so it's not like, mm-hmm. a well, let's see how these characters, let's see how these characters developed in new lives right. and with new, you know, a new set of memories. It's not, it doesn't really spend a lot of time with Taka mm-hmm. or Toski or Chichiri. So it's not really like a, well, let's see how these guys grew up. Like ten years is a long time. Yeah. A lot can happen in there, and we really don't get any insight into yeah, and it's it is what it's they've such been like, up to. Like an essent- like almost an essentialist thing, because it's like you know, like I like I say before, like they're fall, you know, they're falling under the same patterns. Like they're falling mm-hmm. in love with the same people, and it's like, are there do their experiences not shape who they are at all? Like it's such like mm-hmm. a sad thing that's like you cannot help who you are. Like you will always be the same person no matter what your circumstances. Well, and I think there's I think there's an idea there about like the concept of the soul and how like there's a certain part of you that 
carries on even well, when your yeah. memories are different. Like you're predisposed to certain kinds of, you know, reactions to events or behaviors or what have you. Um, but at the same time, like there should be some kind of a difference. And yeah. I know partly there's, there's a, I forget. Oh, I hope I, I'm probably going to get this quote wrong and somebody's going to tell me I got it wrong. There was a commonly held belief that was something to the effect of like, uh, the karmic bonds of a husband and wife last through like three lifetimes or something. Mm-hmm. And like the bonds of a, of a, of parents last through like two lifetimes or something to that effect. So I kind of like when Mitsukake was reborn, like right next to Shoka, I thought that was really cute. Yeah. Like um, Mitsukake the was the same thing. Mitsukake is a Shoka sexual. He's mm-hmm. only attracted to Shoka. <laughs> um, <laughs> and yeah, and I think that that had a and sort of that Mitsukake, that idea of like, of like these karmic was sort bonds. of the best of the bunch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Mitsukake has 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 the the closest thing to an actual kind of arc and and sort of this this idea of like how these past bonds can affect you, but you're not I, the I, a same mm-hmm. person sort of thing. And he's he's um, the only one then, who like responded to like, hey, we're gonna take you away from your family. Yeah, and the people like, that no. you care about, and yeah. like everyone else is just like, oh, oh okay, I guess. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, he gets the he gets the best arc, which is good because he got you know pretty ignored in the in the TV show. Yeah, but then you get to like Nariko and Hoto, and Nariko's still crushing on on reincarnated Hotohori. It's like I thought we were over that. Yeah. I thought we had moved past that. And why why would this particular mm-hmm. relationship carry forward in exactly the same mm-hmm. way? Because then it gets to the point where it's not just like, well, sometimes there are unique circumstances. Yeah. Um, it's like, no, you're just the same. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that's, it's, it's bothersome. Yeah. It's like, I lo- like, I, I love these characters and I wanted to see them again, but not like this. And I <laughs> think it's really telling that like when Noriko's voice chimes in and everyone's just like, wait a second, I know that voice. I felt nothing. Mm-hmm. And I should always be excited to see Noriko. And that was the saddest part for me. Because, I mean, that wasn't the saddest part for me. But that was Fushigi very telling. Yugi, that was very telling. You will have an emotion. Yeah. I, and I had, I had none at that moment. Yeah. And yeah. it's just... It's, That's why I say Ekoden just exists. Because I'm like, I don't really have any strong... <laughs> I just was tired. I just wanted to be done with it. And that's not how Ekoden a series is... that I have as strong feelings as I do for Fushigibi. That's not how it should end. And Nope. And I hate, like, I hate that that was it. And I hate that that is probably the last bit of Fushigibi content that is going to be made. Because the franchise has run its course. Well, get the cut. Well, the an- or I'm animated still, Fushigi Yugi content. I'm still holding out hope that they're going to animate Get Bukai. Okay, and, yeah. No, I mean, uh, I, 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 specifically about this group. I went back after finishing Echo Den last night, and I woke up this morning, and I was like, that's not really the note Fushigi Yugi should end on. And I went back and rewatched the last 10 minutes of Oni 2, because that finale where Miyaka and Taka say goodbye to everybody, and then she wakes up in the real world, and... Uh, the music box music comes in and I'm like, yeah, this is what mm-hmm. I needed. This is, this is, this is a finale. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, we can, we can debate whether or not Oni 2 is, is necessary. And we kind of have, I think, but it at least, it at least has, it at least ends on, on an emotional kind of like punch note where you're reminded of the fact that, sh- that you've been through a lot with these characters and you care about them and you want them to be happy. Yeah. So yeah. for um, me, it's it's it it accomplishes what the what the ending of the TV yeah, show. Yeah, and it, like of, like I end it and I'm smiling and I'm like, yay. Yeah, like the end good. of Oni Two is resonant, and I do think it is a powerful statement that sort of ties back into what I wanted out of it. That 
Miyaka and Taka chose to come back to the real world because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. that's Taka's home. Um, and that is him choosing not to just be Tamahome forever. Mm-hmm. Um, that is... And Miyaka's home too. Yeah, you know, and Miyaka's she... home too. But it's like Taka says, like, that this is our home. Like, and I think that mm-hmm. is him choosing to be Taka and not just Tamahome, the sequel. 2.0. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But anyway, um, I just wanted to get that in. Yeah, no, I think with as much anime as there is out there now, um, it seems a shame for, you know, people to honestly waste time on Eikoden when Fushigi Yugi is a worthwhile trip, but pretty long already on its own. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah, it is. Um, again, the only if Brian, if you or Caitlin had never seen Fushigi Yugi before and I was like, oh, we're totally going to watch Fushigi Yugi, I would have sat you down and watched the TV show, and then I would have made you watch Oni 2, mm-hmm. because again, as the best episode in the entire series, you're watching Oni 2 <laughs> with me. Um, and again, I think I think that you end with the, the the final episode of Oni 2, I think you end it, and there is a feeling of satisfaction. There's a right. feeling of emotional Yeah, I, I, I don't think you um, necessarily a feeling of completion. need that second ending, but I don't think it's bad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I always skip OVA one. Uh, I always skip Oni one, and I pretty much always skip Agoden. I'll get. I'll, I'll usually give people a choice. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, it's not great. There's a couple of cute things in it. Do you really want to watch it? We can. Just don't. Just don't expect it to be uh, a proper finale because it's really not. Yeah. Yeah. So that's those were the OVAs. They were the they were the roller coaster. Uh, we we promised. Do we want to do just closing thoughts about Fushigi Yugi as a whole? Yeah, we kind of did that last time. This episode, we, we, we definitely pitched this episode as a bonus um, because we sort of did a sign-off, thanks everyone kind of thing at the end of the last yeah, one. Yeah. So if we want to, I mean, real quick, I think it was nice that we were able to circle back to Oni 2 a little bit at the end and, and end on a little bit more of a mm-hmm. positive note because Ekoden's not, again, Ekoden's a weird place for the series to end. So I almost told you guys, let's do Oni 1 and then Ekoden and then Oni 2. Mm. But that would have been really complicated and confusing for our listeners. Yeah. So I ended up not doing it that way. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, do you guys have any, any final thoughts for this, these, I guess this two part bonus episode that we're, uh subjecting our listeners to. I just I I just want to say thank you listeners. Yes, thank you for um, bearing with us. And and thank but you. also I want to uh, say like Fushigi Yugi is a series that has sort of come to be maligned over the last few years and it is a flawed series but it is a series that is much smarter than a lot of people give it credit for and I think if people want to go into it with an open heart i think that is good but i also think that if people don't want to go into it with an open heart just don't just don't you know what i mean i like, mean there is some shit in here like i i think it's an overall I worthwhile mean, listen, series like, i do no, no like there's stuff to criticize i'm not saying that it's a perfect series but i think when people go in with the intention just to like to make fun of it mm-hmm. i think they are depriving themselves of like actually enjoying what what the series has to offer and also just like it's not a series that should be dismissed no, i think yeah, i think it's kind yeah. of what you're, and, what you're and, saying and there, sort there, of, there, sort there of... are absolutely things about it that are ridiculous and we I, it's one of those shows that as much as i love it like i i also really enjoy poking fun yeah at it. It always comes from a place of like i love it like but hokotori's voice coming out of a baby is hysterical yeah <laughs> you know um, I, I think it deserves at least as fair a shake as nostalgic shonen series get i'll, yes, I'll give it, i'll, I'll yes. say that absolutely and, that, and that's yeah, sort of... absolutely and again there are 
100% things in it. It comes with a lot of big asterisks, and there are things in it that are very much a product of its time and things in it that are absolutely worth criticizing. Yes. And I, I think I think we've tried, at least, you know, I've tried to take my nostalgia goggles mm-hmm. off and uh, get on it when it, you know, when it really fucks up. I mean, all and all um, the time that I sit there and I yell about Hodahori, that is, like, that that is all of the nostalgia goggles just like flying right off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's also true. And that was the th- kind of an interesting thing about this rewatch was watching it so much later and how different things that I think I had dismissed when I was younger that I now I now find more resonant or um, you know kind of worthwhile mm-hmm. uh, in terms of like uh, Miyaka in mm-hmm. particular. And yeah, I think it's I think it's one of those shows that I'm I I would get like. I'm absolutely willing to to talk about it from a critical standpoint, but uh, people who are just going to be dismissive of it, mm-hmm. dismissive of it, like completely out of hand, like oh, it's just a melodramatic shoujo bullshit, then I'm going to have to bust out my my angry hat again, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to dust it I, off. I, I think it's an unfortunate <laughs> thing that you know by dealing with some messy issues in imperfect ways, which I have yelled at mm-hmm. a lot of, uh, about on this watch along oh, yeah. but like it there there <laughs> is a have. certain bravery to that and i think what allows shonen to have a rosier tint to it in people's minds is that it never tried like it's easier to right. a lot to of it pat, pat, yeah. pat it on its head and call it a product of its time because it didn't truly wade into some messy fraught shit and do some of it in ways that have aged badly but it also didn't bother to include anybody that wasn't yeah, its target right. audience so yeah, Fushigi Yugi is very messy and very imperfect, but it does at least make an effort to address some very real issues that mm-hmm. I think are not addressed in fiction enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I respect it for that. I do. And it te- treats teenage girls with respect, which is also not common in media. Except for with respect and then and then again also I think it does I think it does a better job than a lot of other media that uh not not all not all other media obviously but but some of the stuff especially that was kind of coming out around mm-hmm. the same time period kind of putting into focus the idea of you know making decisions for yourself and fighting for what you believe in and and, and fucking up but learning and 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 figuring out ways to move on and i think that um it's a product of its time but there is something there's something worthwhile about that mm-hmm. i used to i know as a kid it always bugged me i always felt like miyaka didn't do anything because she wasn't in the front lines wielding a sword and watching it again this time, I'm like, no, Miyaka definitely did mm-hmm. stuff. And characters don't have to physically kick ass for them to be, um, you know, worthy of mm-hmm. emulation in certain ways or or for them to resonate with you, I guess. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. And I think Fushigi Yugi toes that line between having a non-combatant main character who is still somebody who, in a lot of ways, can kind of encourage people to, you know, get up again and keep fighting and, and you know, learn and become more responsible or empathetic Um and I, I, I think in the in the end, that's that's valuable, mm-hmm. flaws and all. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah, I do, I do. Like I said in the last wrap up, I won't probably visit this series again, but I'm glad that I sat down and talked about it with you guys. I, I am. Mm-hmm. I, I respect a lot about this series. Yeah, and we're very glad that you sat down <laughs> yeah. and talked to us with our nostalgia goggles on. Somebody sometimes. had to be the cranky um, rain cloud while you guys had your joy. <laughs> no, it was, but it was good. Like I absolutely did not want to do this without. Like when we when we initially talked about this, I was like, it's got to be me, Brian, Caitlin. Like that's that's the group that's gotta mm-hmm. that's gotta talk about this one. Um, and so I was really, I'm 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 happy with the way it turned out. I hope our listeners were too. And I look forward to you know maybe another five to five to ten years from now revisiting this series and and seeing what I think about it then because I 
I'm definitely not breaking up with it like I thought I would. I'm not. I was ready to. Dis- I was ready to dismiss it. I think. Yeah. And rewatching it, yeah. I realized that that was not. That was not what I. That was not what the show deserved, and that was not my relationship with it at this point. Um. So, I'm. Yeah. I'm. I'm grateful for this watch along. I think for for that as mm-hmm. well. All right. So yeah. Um. This concludes. I can I feel a little. Oh, a little choked up saying yeah. that. This concludes our Fushigi Yugi watch along. We'll do another one. Uh, It'll be fun. It's, it's it's been a journey. We'll we'll find another watch along to do together for sure. Um, we'll 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 tackle some, maybe some other old series. Uh, folks, let us know in the comments uh, if you enjoy us doing some of these older kind of classic titles, and you know we'll definitely keep that in mind going forward. Um, yeah, let us know your thoughts for sure. Thank you so much for joining us for this very multi-part watch along. We had fun. I hope you had fun. If you did enjoy this episode of Chatty AF, we would love it if you would tell your friends or leave a nice review for us on iTunes. And if you really enjoyed this episode of Chatty AF, then uh, please consider tossing a dollar or more into our Patreon each month. We use that money to uh, pay for our contributors, to pay for editing of these podcasts, um, to pay for our editors, um, some behind-the-scenes management. It really goes a long way. It helps to, you know, keep things running and keep articles coming out and making sure everybody gets paid their fair share. Um, so please, even a dollar does a lot for us. Um, it makes anim- anime feminists happen both in print and in your earbuds. And if you are interested in more from the team and our contributors, you can check us out at www.animefeminist.com, on Facebook at Anime Fem, on Tumblr at Anime Feminist, and on Twitter at Anime Feminist. Thus concludeth our watch along. Thanks for listening, Annie Thanks, Fam. Thanks, guys. Um, Thanks, everybody. Let us know your thoughts in the comments. <laughs> we love you all. Have a feeling. <laughs> <laughs>